<coughs> Good vach and a yashikoyach to everybody who was Mosa Nefesh to come out uh, in this weather uh, to participate in this year. And Mirza uh, Hashem, the Fum Sarah Agra, the schos and the koyach that you get from a shir is in direct proportion to the effort that you put in. So everybody who made the effort to come, Mirza Hashem, Akush Baruch should give you a tremendous chalik and tayrat. Um, the, it was interesting that, uh, you know, I have a, I have a podcast and um, they started a new uh, feature on the podcast is that at the end you, uh, you have an option to ask questions. And the last uh, 15 minutes of the podcast, I answered different questions. So someone wrote a very long question uh, about the nature of the stories of Tanakh. Are we supposed to understand them uh, on a simple level or on a very high level? Yeah? Now, we spoke about this last time a little bit, but, uh, but just to chaza over the Yisoy. Obviously, you can't learn them Parshat Pshat uh, because, you know, a bunch of brothers being jealous of their brother, um, you know, and... Uh, trying to kill him because he got a nice coat. I mean, that's, that's not your average family, you know? <laughs> Certainly not what you would expect from the children of Avraham and Yitzchak. Certainly not the people who would have received the bracha from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It just doesn't make sense on a simple level. So he says, if that's the case, and these people were on, like the Mepharshim explained, such high levels, how are we supposed to understand it, right? And he, of course, raises the idea of Misa of a similar bonim, but in that case, it doesn't really have anything to do with me. And the answer is, I think, that yes, it is Misa of a similar bonim. And at the same time, one has to be able to recognize that, as, as I, I may have, I may have uh, quoted uh, Rabbi Ari Khan upon this once upon a time, he has such a great phrase. It was, Jewish history is Jewish destiny. Uh, what happens in the past explains what's going to happen in the future. When you take a look at a situation today, you can trace it back to its roots. And it's so important to understand where things come from, the sources of everything. So yeah, my daughter is right now teaching uh, Parshas Bereshis. There are so many things there that are so hard for us to even begin to grasp on the simplest level. And that's why very often when people uh, start teaching Bereshis, they start from Lech Lecha, because at least you're in a world we can understand. The world in Parshas Bereshis, the world in Parshas Noah is so hard for us to even relate to. These stories and these characters, right? The fact that Yaakov Avinu was able to wrestle and beat a Malach, that's not fair. Right? I can fight you, your Malach can fight my Malach, but your Malach can't come and fight me. And the more amazing thing is he won. So you're dealing here with a person, and in fact, that's what the Chazal say, when Yosef tries to move the hand, uh, this is making noise. <laughs> when Yosef tries to move Yaakov's hands because he thinks it's on the wrong uh, son, he says, Yudati b'ni Yudati. He says, you, you can't uh, move this hand. This hand beat a malach. You, you're not in a position.
<laughs> I just have ADD, so it doesn't take much for me to get uh, distracted. So, uh, so you don't have a right, right? He says, you're going to move this hand? This hand beat a malach. Who do you think you're dealing with? What do you think? What situation do you think that you're encountering? So, of course, we can't understand Yaakov Avinu on the level of a regular person. Nor can we understand Esav on the level of a regular person. I've quoted before the Chazal, which is such a difficult Chazal to understand. That La'asad Lavai, after Mashiach comes, every tzaddik who ever lived is going to come to a big Suda, and Esav is going to be there, and everyone's going to think he belongs until Kosh Baruch Hu says to him, This is not for you. That means that Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef, they're all going to say, oh, Uncle Asaph's here, make room on the bench. And, and everyone's going to think he belongs there. So of course he's not a Russia like we think of a normal Russia. There's, there's situations here that are beyond what we could understand. Back in Parshish told us when he wanted to get the, um, when he wanted to get the uh, uh, brachos, says he cried two tears. Those two tears resulted in the churban of two Bate Mikdashis. That was the level that Asaph was on. So when we learn these things, of course we can't understand it on a simplistic level. There is what's called a minimalist approach to Tanakh, where we try to look at these people as people. It's so impossible, especially through the eyes of Chazal, to ever look at them in those ways. And people will point to a Ramban that says, well, sorry, did a chait. Yeah, or, or something else happened over here. Beseder, but you have to understand what that means. Uh, a hate, a hate on, on their level. You read the story of Korach. A large percentage of the Jewish people were following Korach. That means you've got to make a choice between Korach and the guy who came down from the mountain with rays of light shining out of his face that he has to wear a veil because people uh, 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 can't even look at him, and you're not sure which side to choose, obviously Korach was not the way it would be understood on a simplistic level. So whenever we read these stories, we have to understand that there is a... Um, a uh, uh, aspect in it, that these are teaching us ideas in history and, and uh, powerful forces that everything is coming from. I heard uh, once somebody uh, asked Mati Berger, you know, how is it possible if there was only one person that we have all kinds of different people with all kinds of different characteristics? And he said, obviously, Adam Rishon had to have had all of the recessive genes inside of him. Well, you're not dealing with regular people here. You're not dealing with regular things. We're dealing with things that are, are, are so out of our understanding. So. I, I want to go to one of the most difficult things to understand in history, and that's not me speaking. That's historians, anthropologists, sociologists, everybody has struggled with this issue. The issue that uh, the term was actually developed in Germany, anti-Semitism, which uh, is a term that's used for Jew hatred. Yeah, um, somebody once said that, uh, uh, well, he says, I, you know, and, uh, this, this 
Arab said, well, I can't be an anti-Semite because I'm an Arab and I am a Semite. He says, yeah, but you know that the term is used as hatred of Jews. And I would say that you are guilty of anti-Semanticism. You understand? You know, you're, you're playing a semantic game. But uh, whether you call it anti-Judaism or anti-Jews or anti-Semitism, it all comes out to the same thing. History is replete with these stories. Yeah? Tom Lehrer uh, wrote a song back in 1964 called National Brotherhood Week. And the white folks hate the black folks, the black folks hate the right folks, right? There's another verse, the rich folks hate the poor folks, the poor folks hate the rich folks, right? Then it comes to religion. The Protestants hate the Catholics, and the Catholics hate the Protestants, and the Hindus hate the Muslims, and everybody hates the Jews. Yeah, That's the one thing the world can agree on. You don't even need Jews. The Jews were expelled from England when Shakespeare wrote A Merchant of Venice. Um, the, uh, I, I, I forgot it was in the, the, the 1980s or something. Uh, the uh, um, Protocols of the Elders of Zion was a, was a best-selling work in Japan. There weren't even any Jews. You have to bring in Jews just to be anti-Semites. Because we, we, we don't have any Jews to hate. We have to import some. You, know, you don't need Jews to hate them. Hating Jews is something that is, is seen as a, as, a, um, as, as a disease in all of mankind. Nothing happens for nothing. It's not bad luck. We never say bad luck, right? Um, I don't know if I told the story recently, but uh, there was an Israeli soldier, soldier Nachshon Waxman, who was uh, kidnapped. And, um, and he was uh, uh, held hostage. And they went in on a Friday night to rescue him. They, they located where he was. And they had to um, uh, go in and try to rescue him. And by the time they got there, the Arabs had already killed him. So uh, here in Harnof, out in, out in, uh, out in front of Supersol, there was a, a giant Kabbalah Shabbos, a giant davening, to try to save his life. And there was one in Ramot, and there was one in Bait Vagan, and a whole bunch of other communities where people, mamish, came together to daven. And uh, Friday night, they brought the news to Mr. Waxman, who was sitting shiva. And an Israeli journalist, because there's nobody who has the level of sensitivity as an Israeli journalist. I mean, Baruch Hashem, the American media has caught up. But, you know, uh, Israelis uh, have always uh, had a special gift for this, um, of making themselves the story, you know. Um, you, you find a, uh, I mean, in, the, in America, you didn't find this until Trump, you know, where, you know, reporters just say anything they want and just interrupt him. And, you know, but like Netanyahu would be giving a press conference, you know, and he'd say, uh, Give the man a chance to answer, you know. And I listen to the, sometimes you hear a radio interview and you're like, why would you even waste your time? You, you can't get through a sentence. They cut you off. You know, they, they just want to hear themselves talk. You know? so, uh, so this Israeli journalist says to Mr. Waxman, who's just lost his son. He says, uh, 
Mr. Waxman says, uh, all these people were praying to save your son's life. What happened? I mean, isn't that the right thing to say to a father who's just lost a child? Look, look how, how beautiful that is, powerful, sensitive, you know? Really, you know, Jews caring about Jews, you know? So he gave the answer, the incorrect answer that you hear from people, where he said, uh, God answered, he said no. Right? Okay. But when he was sitting Shiva, so people who went to the house of Shiva, he gave a different answer. He said, the soldiers who went to rescue my son, when they came to the house, they found a steel door, like a safe, and they had to blow it open. And they were in a, 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 a death trap. Bullets were flying and hand grenades were going off. And somehow we managed to blast open the door and when we got in, it was too late. And they said to Mr. Waxman, none of us should have walked out of there alive. He said, Klaius Rodavind, to save the life of a Jewish soldier, they succeeded. It just wasn't my son. But, but that we could daven and, and nothing happens? Impossible. Nothing happens for nothing. If something happens, we have to look at it through the lens of, of, of the Jewish history. And that's why it's always a tricky thing when you teach Jewish history because Jewish history is world history. Everything that goes on um, uh, ultimately has something to do with the Jews. Mati Berger tells a story when he had a, a Chinese exchange student staying with him in, in, uh, in America. And uh, the way you learn a language is by reading the newspaper, right? Uh, when I first came, that's how I tried to learn Hebrew. I was reading the newspaper. And I kept finding these words that I didn't recognize. It took me a while to figure out what they were. Words like coalitia and individuali, poenta. And then I finally realized it's all just English with a bad accent. And uh, after that, when I would learn with someone in Hebrew, if I didn't know the word, I would just say a similar English word with an accent, itzia, or, and I, nine out of 10 times it was right, you know? I said to an Israeli, I said, why do you even bother having a language anymore? Just close it down and switch to English. He said, ani optimisti. So, uh, I don't know. But, uh, so he was reading the newspaper and he found that every other story was about this country called Israel. Now, being from China, he, he didn't really know what Israel was. So um, he looked at a map. He saw China. He knew what China was. He saw Russia. He knew what Russia was. He saw the United States. So he's looking for the next biggest country, and he realizes it's Canada. So he figures Canada must be Israel. So uh, he started referring to Canada as Israel. So he says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be uh, making a trip up to Niagara Falls, and then I'm going to continue on to Israel. So he says, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, no, right over the border. He says, that's Canada. He says, yeah, yeah, but that's got to be Israel. He says, that's not Israel. He says, where's Israel? He takes the map. He says, okay, you see Jordan? He says, you see that little line? You see how in the Mediterranean it's written I-S-R? You know, that's Israel. He says... That's Israel that I read about all the time? He says, yeah. He says, how many people live there? At the time, it was about five million. He says, we just had a census in China, plus or minus 50 million people. He says, 
There are 10 times as many people missing in China as live in this country. How is this the most important country in the world? Sometimes, sometimes you see things from a perspective, but, but we say it's true. When things happen, uh, World War II, and the causes of World War II are many, right? <clears throat> the breakdown of the Weimar Republic and the, the, the destruction of their economy and, and the embarrassment of the, of the Germans and the reparations. There's lots and lots of reasons. But there was a historian, Lucy Davidowitz, who said, even though Hitler wanted to conquer the world, that was his second goal. His most important goal was to kill the Jews. He says, otherwise his decisions don't make any sense. If you have ghettos of Jews who are producing essential war materials, why would you kill them? It doesn't make any sense. They're working for you, unless your goal is to kill the Jews. Why, if you're fighting the Russians and the Allies on the West and the East, the one thing more than anything that Hitler wanted to avoid, because he remembers from World War I and he felt why Germany lost was because they were fighting on two fronts. More than anything, he wanted to avoid that. And that's why he had the Ribbentrop deal with Russia so that the two of them split Poland and then he could just concentrate on the West. Uh, I just saw Ben Shapiro speaking at a university and this guy was defending Marxism and he says, just remember it was Russia that saved the world in World War II. He says, right, just remember it was Russia that started World War II with their, with their pact with Hitler. If they hadn't, then the whole thing wouldn't have happened. So uh, historical revisionism. But, um, uh, you know, uh, he didn't want to fight on two fronts. And so now he's got to get his troops going. And instead of turning the essential resources, and he was running out of resources, um, in... Uh, Towards the end of the war, he made one last attempt to fight through the Ardennes and attack the uh, Allied troops. A lot of people lost their lives in what was, became known as the Battle of the Bulge. And eventually it just stopped because they ran out of gas. They didn't have enough gasoline to keep the tanks going. It, it, it was, they were, had desperate resources. Why would you spend those resources on trains to take Jews to extermination camps instead of using it for your, for your military campaign, unless that was secondary? And there's a quote from Hitler that people often quote, which is a frightening uh, quote. He says, it is true that we are barbarians. It is an honorable title. The Jews have inflicted two wounds on mankind, circumcision on their body and morality on their soul. These are Jewish inventions. This war is between the Germans and the Jews. All else is facade and illusion. That's how, that's how Hitler looked at the war. And so Lucy Davidowitz writes an entire book with this premise that if, if his goal was to conquer the world, he made a lot of decisions that were not in his best interest. Unless conquering the world was secondary to his decision to destroy the Jews. So it's, a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing phenomenon. And we want to try to get to the root of the issue, right? 
So before there were Jews, it's hard to have anti-Semitism, right? You have to have a Jew. The first Jew is Avraham. And Avraham doesn't suffer any particular persecution. Yes, he has a problem with Avimelech. Yes, he has a problem with Pyro. But that's because they want to take his wife. Yeah? And, uh, and that's, that's where that came in. Um, Yitzchak, in his encounter with Avimelech, has the first encounter of saying, you Jews have too much money. But you could argue that was covered of the Malchus as opposed to just you know, um, uh, those kind of uh, arguments. Um, there's uh, interesting, uh, one of the Mepharshi Rashi, when they explain at the beginning of Vayera that Avraham is by uh, Mamre. Why? Because he had three Bali Bris, um, Ana, Eshkel, and Mamre. And he asked an Eitzah from them before he did the Bris Mila if he should do the Bris Mila or not. So Anna says, listen, uh, you're, you're an old man. Um, you, it could be dangerous. You might end up losing your life. Eshkel says, listen, you know, you're, you're going to be in a weakened state. If we get attacked, we can't defend you. And Mamre says, listen, I wouldn't do it, but then again, I wouldn't go to war against the four world powers. Uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, throw myself into a kibbutz age, but eh, works for you. So go for it, yeah? Why was he asking an Eitzah? So the, the, the Mepharshim gives him answers, but one of the Mepharshim explained because he thought that if he, um, if he does this, he's going to get attacked now. Uh, more, than, more than everything else? Yeah. Because once you make a bris milah and you say that I am different than everybody else, then you open yourself up for attack. Because now people are going to say, you think you're different. Uh, I was in Cape Town, South Africa at an encounter conference. And I was on a panel with a Muslim teacher, a Catholic teacher, myself, and a secular Jewish teacher, answering questions on religion. And uh, there were a couple of girls that I had you know, spoken to over the course of, uh, of the program, and they were hassling the Catholic teacher. I don't remember what exactly about Christianity, and I was giving them the eye, like, knock it off, you know? Uh, it was subtle. But they picked up on it because these two girls' next question was aimed at me and said, Rabbi Olavsky, I'm surprised that you're upset about our questioning because didn't you tell us that the Jews are the chosen people? And I said, yeah. And, uh, and the Catholics think they're the chosen people, don't you? And the, and the teacher in the second said, yeah. And the Muslims think they're the chosen people, sure. You know? Let's... Let's, when I say, we say we're the chosen people, right? We're the only religion that says that the righteous of all people have a place in the world to come. A Christian means that you allow Yashka into your heart. And if you don't, then you will be cast into the pit of hell forever because you did not allow Yashka into your heart. That's it. And I'm being unfair because you have to not only uh, be a believing Christian, you got to get the right one. 
So for example, in the 1300s, there were two popes, one in France and one in Italy, and they excommunicated all of the other's followers. Now excommunication, they use that term in Hebrew for like cheirim. Cheirim is, you know, a certain social distancing. That's not the same thing as excommunication. Excommunication means the Pope Paskin, you don't get to go to heaven. So since there were only Catholics at the time, yeah, there was at least one Pope saying that you're not going to heaven. There's no way to square that circle. You understand? You're, you know, you're in trouble. And then the Protestants come along. And they come up with a different version. You have to get the right version of that. And fine. But none of them say that a Jew is going to go to heaven. There's a, a famous response. I know people who have used it. Where when there are Christian missionaries, they say, if you allow Jesus into your heart, then you will go to heaven. Is that correct? Yes. So if Adolf Hitler, before he died, accepted Jesus into his heart, he'll go to heaven, right? He says, well, you know, any sinner can allow that sacrifice into him and, and be saved. He says, and the Jews who died saying Shema Yisrael are burning in hell. This is an uncomfortable question. And he had no choice to answer yes. He says, I'd rather be in hell with the six million than in heaven with Hitler. Yeah? But that's it. There's no middle of the road. Islam's the same thing. Infidel. Yeah? We say, you don't have to be a Jew. Do the seven, go to heaven. People are like, what kind of religion are you? You know, I thought you're the chosen people. I said, yeah, we're the chosen people. We're there to take care of the world. But do Jews get more reward than a non-Jew? I said, I hope so. I'm doing 613, you're doing seven. Does it make any sense we should get the same reward? Of course not. Then it's not fair. Of course it's fair. You could join. Do you want to join? No. Okay, so what do you want from me? I should do more than you and I shouldn't get more reward? It's unfair if you can't join. But if anyone can join, that's why you understand that in Christianity and Islam, they feel so concerned for you because if you don't accept what they believe in, you're going to go to hell. So they'll do anything they can to encourage you to save your soul. Well, different types of torture, water tortures, fire, break you on the rack, all out of love because they want to save your soul. Whereas if you come and you say you want to be a Jew, you say, why? What would you want to do that for? You know, so much stuff you can't do. So I want to go to heaven. Do the seven, go to heaven. You don't have to, you don't have to do this. And the idea is why, you know, you, you don't have to be a Jew. You want to be a Jew? You want to join the, the officer corps? All right, you'll have a, you'll have a better PX than the uh, enlisted men. You want to become an executive? Fine, you can have to work much harder and longer hours than if you're just on the assembly line nine to five and you go home. You know, it's, uh, uh, you want to take on more responsibility. But here's the amazing thing, right? Christians tell Jews, we're the chosen people, we're the true religion. God has rejected you and you're going to be cast into hell. Do you ever meet a Jew who hates a Christian? They're like, okay, shkoyach. Yeah, I'm going to go to hell. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you for sharing. You know. Do, are we threatened by the fact that the Muslims think that they're the true religion? No. So why do they hate us? So, that brings us to this week's parsha. When it says the following, Yaakov and Esau finally meet. And obviously, 
This meeting is the meeting of the Jew and Western civilization. I, I shouldn't say Western civilization uh, uh, because at the end of Parsha's Toldos, Asaph married Yishmael. So the two counter forces to Judaism joined together. So this is everybody coming after us. Yeah? The Yoretz Asaph Likrasai, it's Paraklamid Gimel Pasig Dalit. And he hugs him. And Vayipal al Tsavarov, he falls on his neck. Vayisha Kehu, and he kisses him. Vayivku. Vayisha Kehu has little dots on top of it. Says Rashi. Vayesh Cholkin Bedava Hazer Bebraisa Besdisifri. Yesh shedarshu nakudazu loma shol noshka v'chol and in fact they read it not as vayi shakehu but as nashchu they tried to tried to bite him and his neck turned to stone. Ar Rishim byachai halochahi biyadua sheesav sone liyakov. Ya esav hates Yaakov. Ella. There was a moment of, of mercy in him. I saw a parish many years ago. I don't remember where I saw it. It says, why didn't Avraham throw out, uh, why did Avraham throw out Yishmael? Because he felt that would help Yishmael. The Rechuk would help Yishmael. He would become who he was supposed to become through that rechuk. To the point that when the Akeda comes and he says, you know, Kach is bincha, take your son. He says, I have two sons. Yeah, Yechidcha. He says, each one's the only son to his mother. Asher hafta, I love both of them. Yitzchak. Your son is going to become a living carbon, and you're not sure which one it is. He was hoping, says Rabbi Sol Salanta, that Yishmael through the Rechuk became uh, on the level of Yitzchak, that he finally reached the level that he was supposed to achieve. But the Rechuk was designed to be able to try to accomplish something. It's a slippery slope. Every parent knows this. You know, how much do you pull a kid close and how much do you push them away? And uh, it's, Shalom uh, Shadran tells a story that when he was uh, a bach in yeshiva, so uh, the chazan uh, finished Shmona Esrei, it was a tainus, and it was after uh, Shkia. And he wasn't sure whether or not to have say Tachtan, so he's looking around. So Shalom Shadran was sitting up front, so he goes, oh, Kaddish. So he says, Kaddish. They finished davening. And Rabbi Leib Chasbin gives a clap. And he says, I'd like to ask all the Rosh Yeshiva to please leave the Mizrach wall. We have a new Rosh Yeshiva. Rosh Hashadron. He paskins for us. He says, I wonder if I could ask the new Rosh Yeshiva to bring me a Mishnaburah Chalik Beis. He says, I don't know how I moved. I don't know how my feet moved. And I bring him the Mishnaburah and he reads, you don't say Tachlan after Shkia, but if you're running late, like on a Tainus, you can. 
says, I went back to my apartment. I got into bed. I didn't get out for three days. I, I just hid under the covers. After three days, someone came and said, the mashkiach wants to see you. I didn't know if I was more scared to go or not to go. I decided I was more scared not to go. So I go to the mashkiach, I feel like two cents. And he looks at me and he says, you know why I did what I did? Now take your Gemara and sit down. And he says, like a surgeon, he stuck in a knife and cut out half my gaiva. I'm just sorry he left in the other half. <laughs> now, you gotta be a big person. You gotta be a big person to be able to take that. Not everybody can take that. Yeah? Rav Moshe Shapiro was notoriously tough on his Talmidim. Yeah, he was very harsh at times. Someone said, I asked him once, why are you so tough on me? He says, there's a medrash that says there's a malach that stands with a stick over every blade of grass and hits it and tells it to grow. You see, the way that you grow is by someone hitting you with a stick. Anyway, people would occasionally say things that were wrong or whatever, and Rabbi Shem would give it to him over the head. Occasionally, I would say things, and he would get that look, and then he would say, no, no. Sometimes he would say, no. But more often than not, he said, no, no. One time he did it to me on Purim, and I said, uh, when does the Rav use no on me, and when does he use no, no? He says, Zebe Metzod. He says, I can't reveal that. That's a secret. Yeah. And people noticed it. They said, why is he so nice to you? He, I said, because he is a master mechanic. He knows that I won't get upset. I will die. I will fall to the ground and have a heart attack and die right on the spot. <laughs> I can't handle it. I'm a, you know, I'm a mushy guy. You know, I, I, can't, uh, I, can't, I can't be. So he wasn't that way with me. So you have, to, you have to know who you're talking to. So by Yishmael, he thought that by sending him away, that Rechuk would allow him to accomplish what he needed to accomplish. So how come Yitzchak didn't send away Asaph? Because he knew that Asaph wasn't going to get any better from the Rechuk. So he kept him as close as he could. And the fact that Asaph has any Rachmanis in him at all is only because that Yitzchak kept him close. I forgot where I saw this, but I do. Rashi says, Beferish. He sends Aliphaz to kill Yaakov. But Aliphaz didn't want to do it because he sat and learned with Yitzchak. Aliphaz, Asaph's son. And he shows up and he says to, he says to Yaakov, what do I do? My father told me to kill you. But Epis, uh, I feel like it's the wrong thing to do. Yaakov's like, I hear where you're coming from. So I tell you what you do. Take all my money. This is Anikimes. And you can go back and say, I'm, I'm dead. So one can only imagine the conversation between Esav and Eliphaz when he gets the message from Yaakov. I think it's similar to the one in The Lion King. Simba, I'm surprised to see you alive, yeah? He says to Eliphaz, he says, I thought you killed him. He says, I, I did, uh, He's like, ah, oh, <laughs> Thanks, thanks for that one. <laughs> yeah, remind me next time to be a little more specific. 
<laughs> so now Esav comes and halacha he says, halacha, they hate you. This is such a hard thing. They hate you. And we don't want to believe it. I was driving once uh, with a well-known Rav and speaker. And uh, somehow we got on the topic of anti-Semitism. And he says, don't fool yourself. Every guy is an anti-Semite. Take my mother. She's the worst. And I remember I went, I'm a little slow on the uptake, you know? I was like, yeah, he was a gear. <laughs> and uh, he knew. He knew that, that they hate you. And the, and the hatred is always there, even when you think it's not. Halacha. That's a halacha, he says. You can set your clock by it. That's a reality. Chaim Velazhina says, you know, we think God created a cow and then people made needles and a, a cow swallows a needle and you find it stuck in its stomach and now we have to come up with a halacha. He says, it's not true. The Torah was 2,000 years before creation. First it was a halacha. This is what happens if a needle gets stuck in the stomach of a cow. And then they made the cow, and then he made the needle, and the halacha was already there. The Matthias was there. Ace of Soneus Yaakov. It's a fact. It's a famous story. In Slabatka, where uh, um, a person had gone to visit Germany. And he said, uh, he said, you know, the Germans have very nice mitos because, uh, you know, uh, they always finish a sentence with nicht wei. Is it not true? So like you'd say, uh, which bus do I take? He says, oh, it's the sixth bus. <coughs> nicht wei. Uh, very, very, uh, very nice mitos. Like, you know, uh, another. So a guy says, it's, just surface. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just surface. They, they, they don't mean to be nice. It's just, uh, you know, uh, people are polite. So this one guy says, you know, you yeshiva guys, you have to knock everybody, you have to this, you have to that, you know. Okay. Uh, nobody reports what the altar said in this situation, but that was the story. Rav Hutna, who was there, because he was in Slabatka, Rav Hutna was giving a shear, and a man walks in and says, is Yitzchak Hutna here? I guess he didn't know he was Rosh Hashiva, so he says, yeah. And he takes out his arm and he shows that he doesn't have a hand. And Rav Hutna's like, okay, my high. He says, in the war I was taken and I was sent to a ghetto, and uh, I managed to steal a piece of bread. And the Nazis held me down and cut off my hand. As I was cutting off my hand, the, the Nazi looks at me and says, it hurts, nicht wei. And I realized then why this was happening. And I said, if I survive the war, I'm going to find everybody who was in that room and tell them they were right and I was wrong. And it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Now, obviously, there have been righteous among the nations throughout the year. 
throughout the, throughout the years, throughout the centuries. There are stories, and uh, very often they feel a pull to Yiddishkeit, one that you can't even explain. I remember meeting a couple, they were both Gairim, and uh, they said how they came into it. And this, the, the, the young lady was from Texas. And she says, you know, I grew up a good Christian in Texas, but I always, but he says, I looked across the street and I saw that our neighbors didn't have a tree, didn't have any lights, and didn't have a wreath. So I said, Mama, they're poor. We should, you know, out of Christian love and charity, buy them a tree. She says, they're not poor. They're Jewish. They don't celebrate Christmas. She says, what do they do? You'll see. And I saw that one night, they light a candle in the window. The second night, two candles. And the whole time those candles were burning, I just stared at them, and I felt something inside of me. I felt something. If you go to Neve Yerushalayim, you'll find the campus is named in honor of Senator Daniel Inouye from Hawaii. Because he managed to get the funding for the campus from the U.S. government. And uh, he told them at one point, I would convert to Judaism if it wouldn't upset my mother so much. He felt something. There was something there inside of them. But other people? I mean, when you f hear the stories of, uh, of what happened in Germany, of people who were friendly, people who were nice, and they were neighbors. And given the opportunity, they, they turned their backs on their Jewish neighbors in a second. There's a very, very small list of people who are willing to stand up for their Jewish neighbors and to, out of basic humanity. So few. Halacha, ace of Sone is Yaakov. Why? Where does this hatred come from? So I think Hitler gave us a good insight. Morality is a Jewish invention. Say the Chazal, Harasinai can be read as sinna. Because when we receive the Torah, that's when the nations of the world decided to hate us. Why? Uh, Deborah Lipstadt, in her book on Holocaust denial, says that the Jews have always been the canary in the coal mine. Now, apparently, canaries are very sensitive to coal dust, uh, coal gas, uh, whatever the methane gas, whatever the gas is that comes out in coal mines that can kill people. And so they keep canaries with them because if they see the canary getting sick, then they know there's a gas leak and they get out of there as quickly as they can. Says the Jews have always been the canary in the coal mine. They sense when there's evil in the world, and therefore evil people go after the Jews first. Because they sense that we stand in opposition to evil. Mati Berger tells the story that he was in Johns Hopkins, and he was obviously Jewish. It's a Catholic university. And there was a priest who was teaching whatever the class was, I don't remember what the topic was, and he looks at Mati Berger and he says, I've never understood why Jews have a problem with the Holocaust. 
I, as a Catholic, have a problem with the Holocaust. Because everybody understands that the Nazis were evil incarnate come down to the world. When you want to picture the most evil person you can, it's a Nazi. That's why the term means nothing anymore, because everybody who you don't like is a Nazi. They just throw it around, you know? Just the most amazing things. Terrible things, yeah. Ben Shapiro says, I always find it uh, strange when people call me a Nazi. You know, since I am wearing a yarmulke and all, you know, it makes me a really bad Nazi, you know. But, uh, but it's become the epitome of evil when you want, you know, a character who's evil. It's like Red Skull, who was the anim enemy of Captain America, was a Nazi. He was the first one to get the super serum before Captain America. So Red Skull is like a Nazi, but he's a super-powered Nazi, you know? So uh, the, they wrote a comic, uh, Red Skull's 12 Rules for Life, to basically attack Jordan Peterson, you know? So I saw him being interviewed, and he says, well, now they're comparing you to a Nazi. He says, oh, no, 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 a super-Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> because I say things like clean your room, you know what I mean? You know? So I must be a superpowered Nazi, you know? <clears throat> so he says, I don't know why you Jews have a problem with the Holocaust. Because obviously the Nazis were evil incarnate come down to the world. And of course, evil wants to destroy good. Why didn't he want to destroy the Catholic Church? We're the true source of good in the world. But he only went after you people. Now, if you people have the truth and actually represent goodness in the world, I understand why he wanted to destroy you. But why didn't he? I, as a Catholic priest, can't understand why the Nazis didn't want to destroy us. Why didn't they occupy the Vatican and kill the Pope? It's, it's a powerful idea. Good wants, uh, evil wants to destroy good. And all good has to do is exist. He, he, he says it's a wound on the body of mankind called morality. <coughs> the Jews have a sense of teaching the world what's right and what's wrong. The only religion that says it's forbidden to eat blood is the religion that was accused of killing children to use their blood in their matzahs. It's so ridiculous, anybody who stops to think about it. But the fact of the matter is that it's irrational, and that's what all the social scientists say. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. Why should everybody hate the Jews? Ben and Jerry's. I think I'll go to a real uh, um, controversial topic. You know, my brother came and saw we had Ben and Jerry's, and he says, uh, I thought we're boycotting Ben and Jerry's. I said, no, you're boycotting Ben and Jerry's, because that's Ben and Jerry's in America. The Israeli distributor told Ben and Jerry's, go jump in a lake. We're selling it in the Shtachim. We don't care what you say. So they say, okay, well, then when, you're, when your license runs out in a year, we're going to take, take it away from you. He says, great, then we'll make our own Ben and Jerry's. Because we have the patent and you don't. We have the copyright. So we'll start producing Israeli Ben and Jerry's. 
Ah. And Ben and Jerry says, you can't do that. Why? You'll see. Anyway, Ben and Jerry were being interviewed by a reporter. <clears throat> and they said, you know, I applaud your stance on the territories that you believe that they're occupied areas and you didn't want to sell it. He says, I thought you guys opposed the voting law in Georgia. He says, we do. So why do you still sell Ben and Jerry's in Georgia? Um, I thought you opposed the abortion law in Texas. So we do. Why don't you stop selling it in Texas? Um, you see, that's called anti-Semitism. If the, when Ilan Omar, who's an obvious anti-Semite, says, I support BDS and we should boycott Israel, but when there was a move to boycott Iran, she says, that's not helpful because Iran is such a wonderful place. So nice to women and to gays and to people of other religions. What a great democracy and wonderful country we should be supporting. That's called anti-Semitism. Does it make any sense for everybody to hate Israel? And it doesn't matter what Israel does. When we brought across the Ethiopians in Operation Solomon and Operation Moses, when we brought them to Israel, we were criticized. why they only saved the Jews? I got an idea. A lot more Christians out there than there are Jews. Why don't you save the Christians? A lot more Muslims out there than Jews. Why don't you save the Muslims? No, all you can do is criticize the Jews for helping themselves. I had this question once. People said to me, why do Jews give only to Jewish charities? I said, or who? You know anybody else who's going to care about our institutions if we don't? Yeah, sure, the Jews care about everybody. But does anybody care about us? Anybody working to support us? It's a terrible thing. It's irrational. It's irrational to hate Israel more than countries that still have slavery. To hate Israel more than countries where women are oppressed and yet they accuse us of it. Where all kinds of terrible things take place. But you go after Israel because they're the Jews. When Yitzchak gives the brachas, he says to Yaakov, you, I'm putting you in charge of everything. As long as you do the right thing. And he says to Asaph, if he does the wrong thing, you have permission to go after him. Anti-Semitism is there, unfortunately, as a check. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as Yecheska Navi says, you're going to keep the Torah, one way or another. Either you're going to do it because it's the greatest thing in the world and it's so wonderful in this relation with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, or you're going to do it because I'm going to make sure that people come and don't let you be a part of their society. The Jews in Mitzrayim were assimilating. The Medrash says it clearly. It says the Egyptians couldn't get a seat in the theaters or the stadiums because the Jews had all the seats. How little things have changed in 3,500 years. The Jews had all the seats. They couldn't even get in. They were more Egyptian than the Egyptians, just as we were more German than the Germans and more Spanish than the Spaniards. 
Or as somebody pointed out, the American dream captured by Hollywood was all done by Jewish immigrants who spoke with accents. Mayer, Goldwyn, um, uh, the, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, the Warner Brothers. They, they were all Jews. They, they understood Voss meant an American better than the Americans did. One of the most popular singers in America was Al Jolson, the son of a chazan. The number one comedian in America was uh, Jack Benny, a Jewish guy. It, it, was, it was amazing the, the areas where Jews were able to capture the essence of what it meant. And what happened as a result of that? Anti-Semitism. And what happened in Spain? Anti-Semitism. And what happened in Germany? Anti-Semitism. Because, and, and the one thing that is on the rise in America, the one form of racism, I know everything is racist today. There's only one form of racism that's on the rise today in America, that's anti-Semitism. The level of Jews who have reported that they have been attacked or they have suffered some kind of discrimination has risen dramatically. Anti-Semitic attacks all over, and the world's okay with it, right? Some other minority pulls a gun on a cop and gets shot, and people riot in the street. And other minorities run through the street and knock Jews unconscious. Terrible thing, we really should do something about that. And everybody goes around, you know, uh, uh, you know not being careful about the uh, COVID rules, but the governor and the mayor single out the Jews. It's the Jews. That's the problem, it's always the Jews. It's a reality. It's halacha, halachahi, and it's built into reality. The Sfasema says that he wanted to bite him. So he says, it's not a trick. V'yishakehu can be read as v'noshach. He says, the kiss was the bite. And the fact that um, Yaakov's neck turned to stone meant he didn't allow the kiss either because he understood that the kiss of Esav is just as dangerous as the hug. And although they seem like they want us to be a part of their society, the more we try, the more anti-Semitism creeps up. And every place where the Jews were assimilating, there was always that backlash of tremendous anti-Semitism. And the more we tried to stay alone and stay away, it was less that we had to suffer. Where does it all come from? It comes from Esav and Yishmael. It comes from Harsinai. It comes from that Jewish history that's Jewish destiny. We Jews have a purpose in this world. We are the voice of good and morality. I remember during the first Intifada, there was an article in Newsweek, an op-ed piece. 
And they say, people accuse us of holding Israel to a higher level. We do, because they're supposed to be the chosen people. They claim they're a light unto the nations. What an amazing thing to say. You know that we're better than everybody else. You know that we're more charitable, that we're more giving, that we're more kind. As the late Jackie Mason say, said, did you ever hear a minority saying, uh-oh, be careful, we're walking through a Jewish neighborhood. Might get attacked by an accountant. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is the, do, do, do you get those kind of experiences? Are people afraid? Of course not. Of course not. Because all we've ever tried to do is make the world a better place. And because our, our impact is so great, that's why they were able to write the, the protocols of the elders of Zion. It must be the Jews are in charge of the world and they meet to decide world history. There's no other explanation. How have the Jews survived all this time? It doesn't make any sense. It's not because we recognize they're an endangered species and we've worked like the spotted owl to keep them around. We're here in spite of everyone's best efforts. Because the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of people out there who don't like us. And Jews are always stunned by this. Why don't they like us? We're so nice, we do so many good things, it doesn't make a difference. Whatever you don't like, the Jew is it. If you're a communist, the Jew is a capitalist. If you're a capitalist, the Jew is a communist. Yeah, whatever you are, we killed their God. Well, not much of a God if you can kill him, you understand? You know, it's hard, hard to even kill Thor, the Avengers, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're gonna, we killed your God, you know? Doesn't say much about your God, does it? <laughs> the whole idea is so ridiculous. Doesn't make sense. Jews were killed for host desecration. You know what a host desecration is? We went in and stabbed the cookie. They have a little wafer that they give you a communion. And they believe that through uh, uh, transubstantiation, it literally turns into the body of Yoshka. And we went to torture the cookie. Has anyone ever been killed for to cookie torture before? No, we're the first. They're always there. That's what Yitzchak said to Esav. That's your job. I, I, I want to end with uh, something that perhaps is, is uh, even more scary, especially as we go into Hanukkah. Most of the time, we weren't fighting the Greeks. We were fighting the Jewish Hellenists. Because as the Gemara Psachim says, more than a non-Jew hates a Jew, and Amma Oretz hates the Tamachacham. The hatred of people without Torah against people with Torah is so severe that it's worse than anti-Semitism. They put a tax on paper goods. Yeah, push up the price of paper goods. Studies show it won't do really anything for the environment. Yeah, it won't make a real change. So Lieberman, in a private conversation, said, I know, but it'll hurt the Haredim. I'm willing to destroy a sector of Israeli economy just in order to be able to hurt these people. Absolutely amazing. 
it's, it's tough, especially by people who want to be an orla goyim, to light up the world, to make everything better, to make the world a better place. And this irrational hatred takes a tremendous toll. It really is. We have to understand that it's halachahi, it's built into nature. It's a reality. And all we can do to fight it. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll end with a story that I hope will be a marshal. My father opened up a flower shop in Brooklyn, Flatbush and Third Avenue. And uh, not that far away, there was another florist. But downtown Brooklyn at the time was a very, very busy place. It is now, once again. And uh, there was plenty of business. But the guy there, name was Tom Smith, uh, wanted to get my father, drive him out of business. So if roses were going for $10 a dozen, he was selling them for $5 a dozen. So people walked into my father's store and says, you're selling roses for $10 a dozen, he's selling them for $5 a dozen. My father said, you think they're the same roses? He says, oh, that makes sense. We'd much rather buy the nicer roses. <laughs> anyway, he kept trying and trying and trying. Eventually, my father moved from his store to Flappish and Forth, and the city made him take down the structure. He had to take it down. It was going to be an expensive undertaking. And one night, it burned to the ground. So the first suspicion was, of course, my father decided to burn it so he wouldn't have to take it down. But it was clear that he didn't. You know, he was home, and there was no evidence whatsoever that it happened. It was definitely arson. My father had nothing to do with it. Years later, it turned out it was Tom Smith's son. He wanted to finally get that Jew florist. He burnt down his, his, uh, his building. So not only didn't my father have to pay to take it down, he got the insurance money. You know? <laughs> so I said to my father, I said, I don't understand. You were a florist, he was a florist. He had more experience than you. He'd been there longer. How come you became the number one FTD florist in Brooklyn and he remained a small guy? And he said, because he spent his whole time trying to destroy me and I spent my whole time trying to build my business. We can't stop the people who hate us. It's irrational. Congress could not even censure a congresswoman for saying anti-Semitic things. They couldn't do it. And, uh, and when they couldn't censor her, you know, the whole squad joined with her and gave her high fives, yay. See, anti-Semitism will never be censored here in the Congress as long as we're in charge. We can't stop it, but we can work on ourselves. And the better we make ourselves and the stronger we make ourselves, the less Asav has that opportunity to be able to turn around and try to hurt us. And in Mitzah Hashem, we will fight that battle against the outside forces and the inside forces, both of which are captured in the Hanukkah story. And in Mitzah Hashem, have the strength to keep ourselves going until we finally reach in Mitzah Hashem, the Amsagula. Thank you so much.